Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, co-founder of Women Innovate Mobile, Kelly Hoey. Thank you, Matt. And I'll haul my guests up here as well. Come on up, Alexa. Come on up, Jennifer. It's great to be here and uh, great to be back doing the Meet the Innovators conversation. And this one in particular, first of all, I got two great entrepreneurs and we're talking about money. That's a good topic uh, and managing money. And uh, for those of you who don't know these, these like some I picked up a couple of my favorite stats on women and money. So women account for over 50% of all stock ownership in the United States and control more than 60% of all personal wealth. But we still need some help with it, so that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to start with um, Alexa, who's sitting right next to me, who is the founder of LearnVest. And LearnVest is on a mission to help people feel amazing about their money. So how are you doing that? How are you making us feel amazing about our money? I know it's a pretty big, <laughs> big mission. Um, so LearnVest was started about three and a half years ago. I dropped out of Harvard Business School uh, because I felt really passionate that we should be able to give um, everyday people access to trusted financial advice. So I like to say we sort of did what um, Weight Watchers did for uh, dieting. We created a program for your money, and what we do is we can connect any household, whether you make $50,000 or $500,000. We immediately connect you uh, to a certified financial planner or a Series 65 expert. Uh, They build a financial plan for you online. Then you continue to get unlimited financial advice via phone, email, Skype, chat, all for about $500 a year. Uh, And it's really like a gym membership for your money. So uh, we raised $45 million. Uh, We're located just a few blocks away. We're about 120-ish employees. Um, And every day we take individual Americans and get them financial advice. Uh, finally, we sell no products, so it's fully uh, unbiased advice. Uh, so if you need insurance, we'll tell you how much you need. We'll recommend a few companies, but we never make any money on those recommendations to make sure that you're getting the right advice for, for you and your family. I love that, a gym membership for your money. <laughs> money should be a consumer product. Every single person in the country should have access to trusted financial advice. Uh, and unfortunately, it's right now really not a consumable experience, and it's pretty hard to tackle. So that's what I've been doing for the past four years. Uh, it's been a really fun adventure. Um, well, let's just go, um, you know, let me jump down to Jennifer, and then we come back, and let's talk about when the idea came up. Because yeah, I know you slipped in there about, you know, dropping out of business school, and we hear all sorts of stuff like that with whether or not entrepreneurs should go to, you know, business school or not. So Stock Touch. Yes. A powerful app to monitor the stock market. So what makes this app so powerful? Uh, stock touch. I didn't, I don't think I wrote that. So, uh, so I read uh, the app. I downloaded it. Anyway, <laughs> tell us about the app. I, it is powerful. It's simple. Uh, stock touch is uh, the, uh, the genesis of stock touch basically started in the summer of 2010, which is right around the time that the iPad uh, and iPad 3G came out, which was in the spring of 2010. And uh, back then the, the device really took off based on the game market and a, a lot of the other categories had a couple of cool apps maybe, but nothing that was really blowing it out on sort of what one could do with the platform. Uh, so I had a background in finance from many moons before uh, Stock Touch was started. And uh, it was killing me that the finance category had no great apps. So I agree. Uh, <laughs> so basically, uh, the simplicity of games, like games, which was 
people seem to want the iPad for. It was mobile, so you could get data and finance. That's it. So StockTouch started with that and, and data visualization. So because uh, you could essentially use the whole screen and mobile touch and do something no one had done before, which was kind of cool. Very, very, very cool. And so where did um, where did the idea like was it just basically because of the game and whatever? And you thought there's no great finance apps and my background's in finance and I can do something about this. That's sim that simple. There's iterations. There's iterations. There, the original, there was an original StockTouch app, which was going to be data visualization across all the financial markets, and each market had its own beautifully designed data visualization. There, were, there was sort of a cross-market with these beautiful orbs and news, and, and everything had its own data visualization. And then the sector app was completely lame. But, so that piece, that piece of the app just, just was bugging the group on the team that was putting it together. So uh, our graphic uh, designer, Steve DeBrun, and I sort of started to noodle on coming up with something better in the Sector app. And, uh, and Steve sent some designs that basically had pink tiles on them. And we wanted to use juicy colors and animation and stuff like that. And the thought of a pink and aqua and bringing that sort of UI to, you know, to finance, but the simplicity of using sort of this sort of like grid and tile interface with uh, um, with stocks and a heat map was that's we threw out the other <laughs> and we and we started and that is what became stock touch so we threw out all the other visualizations and we made that and then obsessed over the details like crazy well we'll talk about iterations and obsessions um, Alexa let me go back to you so you hinted about dropping out of business school but the idea for LearnVest started a little earlier um, during your senior year at Harvard College yeah, so uh, I was a senior at college, and uh, I was going to graduate, and I remember thinking, you know what, uh, money is such a human thing, right? We make six to ten money decisions every single day, uh, but unfortunately, most of us don't learn about personal finance in high schools, colleges, across the country. Um, I'd gone to Harvard, I'd gotten into Harvard Business School, and I literally was like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with my finances. And despite a good education, I didn't understand what is a credit score exactly? How many credit cards should I have exactly? Uh, what's the difference between a 401k and an IRA? And how should I think about it? How much can I afford in rent? When can I buy a home? All of those decisions. And as you would sort of Google and look at information, it was just this blur. And I kept being like, I'm reading inconsistencies online. What do I know are real facts? And then finally, it's stressful. And I was like, I don't want to put this much energy into figuring this out. This should be easier. So what ended up happening was I went back to business school in the fall of 2008 after writing a 75-page business plan that would provide you access to an advisor who could simply, plain and simply, tell you what to do with your finances. But you would know that they're really aligned with you, that they're not trying to sell you any stuff and to make it affordable. And... Uh, Long story short, the fall of 2008, Lehman Brothers was going under. The world was really kind of crumbling. And I remember thinking, when everyone zigs, you have to zag. And I was like, we want a business plan competition, uh, this, this thing I had submitted to. And I ended up saying, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop out. So uh, I'll never forget the day. It was December 18th. Uh, literally not probably the, the smartest time to, <laughs> to leave a cushy, safe, secure future. Um, but I believed that in, with all my heart and I felt like, honestly, we could change 
literally tens of millions of Americans' lives if we could give people access to financial advice. And money is such a human problem. Um, if you're sick, you want the best doctors that money can buy. If you're in love, you want to travel the world to see that person. If you, on Sunday nights, hate your job, you're going to want to change it. And if you have children, you're going to give them a better life than you had. And all of that really comes down to knowing mathematically what you should be doing with your finances. And I started to think about it, but the whole financial world was upside down. If you have tons of money, lots of people want to give you financial advice. But I was like, that doesn't make sense because if you don't have a lot of money, mathematically, it means you can't make mistakes. And so I said, financial planning should be a consumer-friendly product. It should be affordable, and it should always be aligned with you. You should never go see a doctor and they get paid to give you shots. Um, you, when you go see a financial expert, you should know that they're giving you the right advice. So I dreamt up Learn Best, which stands for Learn, Earn, Invest. It's the three pillars of money. Um, started out of my savings account, which was, a, you know, a teeny little tiny pathetic savings account um, to start trying to build this business. And we started with content, then we built a money center where you can link all of your accounts for free and you can see all your finances in seconds. And then from there we said, do you wanna to talk to an expert? And then we built the action program, which is our seven step process to helping you figure out step by step what you should do for your finances through everything from your budget to your mortgage to your kids' 529 plans to investing advice and your insurance needs. And we'll tell you what to do, we'll hold your hand, it will make it even delightful. So, yeah, I'm gonna say because money is one of those things we all it's like it's like sit ups or something. We all know we should do it. And we should know more about it, but we really just want to stick our heads in the sand. It has too much friction. If and that's one of the things that we did is we made it more affordable. We made it significantly easier to access, um, and then we made it even a little bit fun. So, um, you're nodding your head over there. It totally. But you have to think about money all the time. I mean, basically, if when not in a negative kind of way, but in a way kind of like Weight Watchers. You know, I'm counting those calories. What are my investments doing? What, when am I going to get my mortgage? And when you sort of put it in your back of the head and you're watching the financial markets, you understand timing. And when money comes in, I, I don't know, I find from working in finance that th from when their own personal investments, people that work in that industry, when they figure out how to do it, because no one tells you, uh, they, they are the same way. They're, they're thinking about their investments and they're thinking about their job. So, but a lot of people that don't naturally, you, you're not born that way. Right. But, so learning to do it is, doesn't come naturally, but when, once you start doing it, yeah, so, so the number comes along. The common combination of something that's intimidating with something that we're uncomfortable talking about, you know, right. th those two things colliding, and thank God you two are demystifying all of this. Um, but now we talked about Stock Touch, but really your company is is Visible Market, right? So, um, what's what else are you going to demystify for us now? You know, demystifying you know stocks. Like, talk to me about all right the difference between you know things that you're doing, and I mean we, we talked about this before in the back that we're going to talk about difference between an app and a business, but right? Well. Uh, for one thing, StockTouch is it's an unfinished product in the first place. There, the, the the bit of data that it touches on and that it that it I don't know demystifies. I'll use your word yeah. <laughs> to people is is the tip of the iceberg. Really, there's there's so much even financial data that uh, one of the things about StockTouch is that it puts all the data up on. In the, in the map, in the grid at the same time. So it kind of contextualizes the data. Because it's impossible to understand any discrete piece of information. You just, you have to see it in context. You have to see it along with 
other stocks? Is, is that stock moving with its sector or is it moving on its own? Is it moving on news or is that just what's happening in the market today? So there's all kinds of deep data that uh, and markets and, and sort of understanding that data that's really pumped into trading systems that can be put into stock touch. So that's one thing uh, that visible market will do. And also really the platform itself is, uh, is really a tool for, for business intelligence and any data. Uh, so uh, a, uh, let's see, hierarchical zoomable heat map is really a great platform to, to, to visualize big data. So, so that's kind of a hint about what visible markets technology can do use, as a platform. Very, very, very cool. So the, both of you had had prior, you know, real J-O-B's jobs at one point. Um, you know, uh, when did you realize you were an entrepreneur? When did it like truly hit you to say, no, I don't want to collect a paycheck. I'm going to be crazy. I think um, it's a great question. So I have, if you ask like my mom, she would tell you I've been an entrepreneur since I was like four. Um, at one point, instead of having like the lemonade stand, uh, I actually took all of the art off the walls in one of our rooms and I was like selling it outside. <laughs> and I mean, I, my, I, I really, um, so it started there. Um, and I was always constantly thinking of building. And really what I love is I love building. I love building a business. I love thinking about taking nothing and trying to build it into something that's um, useful and productive for society. Uh, and so what's funny is I never... I knew I was this thing um, that I constantly liked to do that. And what was funny is when I finally you know, got to college, it started to help me shape and better understand the vocabulary. And I remember being like, oh, that's what I am. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's what that thing that I always do is where you know, I have the list and I've had them since I was called 15 um, of ideas that I think should exist and that haven't existed and I still keep this book and I write things down constantly of just things that I think are missing when I look out at the world um, and so I finally was able to verbalize that I was an entrepreneur when I was in college um, but I would say that I've absolutely been an entrepreneur for a long time uh, well beyond that that's a great that's a great answer my mom was not happy. Oh, she wasn't? <laughs> I was taking art and nailing it to the tree. Um, so I think I probably owe her, you know, some pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, your mother's smart. Yep. yep. Well, let's see. I think, when did I know for sure? I think that I had always thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. And so the whole idea of working in finance, I went to an undergrad at Columbia MBA. I was an options trader, derivative structuring. So just when my career was going really well at, at Merrill Lynch, uh, I really didn't like working in finance. And uh, I told a friend of mine, I said, you know, I'm really an entrepreneur. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're not an entrepreneur. You, you're a finance person. You, if you were an entrepreneur, you'd be starting a business. So uh, from that point, I thought, you know, he's totally wrong. And uh, uh, kind of at the time, was, uh, it was the early days of the internet. It was like 1994. And so uh, I worked, uh, God, I, I don't even know, 12, 14, 16-hour days um, in banking and derivatives. And... Uh, I was at my computer, and all I could think of is, why is it that there's the list of missing things? Why can I not meet someone on this computer? Because otherwise, I'm not meeting anybody. I'm, 
here working at my job. So, uh, so I started working on a dial-in uh, site. Well, what there was this was there was almost really there was no web at this point, or I hadn't seen it. So a dial-in service for dating, and then sort of the first time I uploaded the web, I thought, oh, this is the perfect format for my dating service. So I launched a dating the first really web-based dating site in 1995, and everybody and that I work with, I quit my job, and they said, you are crazy. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. No one will date online. No so one, that's the craziest thing. <laughs> you're, you're coming back. They're like, we're gonna save your job for you, we're coming back. And we will <laughs> save you from yourself. <laughs> totally. Of online I, dating. I, so anyway, I think that's probably, that was a clue that I was gonna be an entrepreneur and not really keep it in the real job world. Yeah, if you were coming up with online dating in the 90s, I would say for sure there was no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> and it was because of people like you that I once said, well, if someone can meet their husband or wife online, they can happily meet their financial planner online. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, they're going to yeah, we won't go there. We'll try we'll try and keep this clean. I'm we'll just change that. So let's, you know, okay, so you had a dating app. Yeah. Well, they weren't called apps back then. Would, okay, sorry, site. dating site. Now we have apps, but let's talk about this for a minute because I'm, you know, you're both um, entrepreneurs. I know you're both involved in the entrepreneurial community. With me, with investing, with the accelerator, we get people all the time. Your thought on when's it an app, and when's it a business, or when something is a feature, or a product, and when does something in technology become, particularly consumer-facing, when does it become a business? When do you know, okay, this is not just something that's missing out there in the world, this is truly something that can be a business? Well, I think there's always a business. I, I mean, there, there's always products and there's always a business. So I, it's a weird question for me to answer because sometimes like, StockTouch itself is, is a product. It's, that by itself, it's not a business. But th there's always a bigger business, and there's always like a, a sort of groundswell that's also missing. That's part of the reason why you create the product. So, for instance, what's missing is not everybody in the world knows about what to do with financial data or is able to understand it. Even people that work in the financial markets don't understand what's going on at the desk next to them. So, so when is it when is it a business? You just got to make that bigger. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a question of when is it a business. I think it's a question of if it's generating revenue, it's a business. The question is, is it a big business or is it a small business? So let's take a single app that you can sell for 99 cents and you can sell enough of them that can cover the cost of the technology team. That's a business. When it becomes a platform or an enormous business is when you can take that and think about all the extensions, vertical, horizontal, that can make it a bigger platform. Um, so it sounds like you have a platform that happens to have a business app, right? Right. Um, but just in general, uh, I think, I mean, unless it's really truly generating no users, no revenue, I don't think that, that maybe it's not a business. Um, but or, I or if the founder can't see the bigger platform. Yeah, and you don't always have to see the bigger platform before. Right. Um, I was sort of one of the ones who took the time to write a 75-page business plan, which I don't recommend anyone else do um, because I was the only one who read it. But it was more about me trying to understand all of the extensions of this platform before I started to tackle and execute against building the business. Very cool, very cool. Um, what surprised you in terms of what you've done with 
both of your businesses and, and, you know, whether it was with the launch or evolution of what you've done or how people have used the site um, or information, like what, what has surprised you in, in terms of what you've done? Um, so lots of things. First of all, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> but no, I think what really has been the most surprising is, um, f- you know, five, six years ago, as I started becoming really passionate about building this platform, I kept thinking, wow, this seems like a really big problem that I have and that I'm sure other people have. And what I realized is I truly was at the tip of the iceberg. As I started to learn more and more and more and more, it was like, oh my goodness, 74% of the country as of today lives paycheck to paycheck. And wow, like two thirds of women are retiring into poverty. Um, And oh my goodness, 76% of the country feels out of control when it comes to their finances. And you're like, this is just math. Like, why is this such a a big problem? Um, And so what I started realizing is I thought it was a problem that affected me, affected um, as many people as I could talk to. And once I started chipping away, I was very sadly surprised to see that this was, uh, you know, almost an epidemic to many degrees. Um, People aren't prepared for retirement. The average household has $9,000 of credit card debt. Uh, the average person has, you know, less than fifty-four thousand dollars in the retirement account, um, and you really start to realize that this is just math. And why is this such an enormous problem? So I think that's the thing. It just helped me recognize that the opportunity is really big. It's also a, it takes a long time to build, um, but LearnBest is growing rapidly, and it's um, and it's a really fulfilling problem to solve. I'm going to say, and changing human behavior. And changing human behavior, which is um, money and weight loss aren't that dissimilar, which is, you know, you got to eat less and you got to exercise to be healthy. With your your financial life, you've got to spend less and save more. Um, And there's a few more nuances, investing, insurance. um, But it's about just making those smart decisions and then actually putting them in place and getting good guidance to be able to do that. And that's what we get out of bed every day to do. So what surprised you? I would say what surprised me in working um, in working on this is kind of the combination of of when you have a product that that resonates with across a bunch of people that one never expected. One of the first surprises that we had when we started distributing the app out there were to, to sort of people that were our financial advisors is. We had some people that were total vets in the industry, and they said, I don't know, you know, the iPad, I see what you're saying, but I don't know if the app is really going to work. And one of the biggest surprises is when one of the, the biggest doubters that was, was there, it, I don't get it, you know, that even saw the mock-ups and still said, I don't get it, loaded it on his iPad, on the phone one minute later, I'm wrong. I love this app. It's telling me things I didn't know. And uh, basically, and, and, and he said, I have, I don't know, it was 30, 40 years of experience, uh, 5,000 years of experience in finance. I have, you know, careers at Merrill, careers in trading the stock market. So those guys, and then just people that didn't understand it, how could they all be able to use the product and get something out of it? So that, it really... Thinking about how it could actually touch people and help anyone understand the data was really a surprise. That wasn't, 
that wasn't that wasn't in the original idea. Yeah, it was just make it cool and beautiful. Make it cool and beautiful. I mean, did you have in your mind like sort of like who was going to be the user when you created Stock Touch? Like, you're like, because okay, we, I mean, we always tell that to startups, like, who's your ultimate user? And you know, they have to describe exactly painfully who that person is. But did you have in your mind who would be using it? And then you had these veterans of the industry going, "Oh my God, I love this." Well, it, it had to be, the thing is, it had to be iPad users. So it had to be iPad users, and what were they doing on iPads? Well, they had games, but they had to be able to afford iPads. So essentially, it was, it was someone that probably also what had investments, or at least, you know, basically some free cash flow to, to be able to be an early adopter of, of sort of a, the front wave of that device at that time. So, so that was sort of the users we were hoping to 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 reach out to but yeah there wasn't really an ideal user but that but if they didn't like it if that group didn't like it then the product would have failed so oh in terms of early adopters of technology but I was also thinking people with that vast knowledge of of the stock market were you expected that they would be so enthusiastic about never that? thought it right because what stock market people there's a lot of access if you work in finance to to other financial data and you could get it elsewhere so the fact that that the device, essentially the way that StockTouch sort of fuses that data wasn't really available in any other medium. So to be able to deliver something totally new, even if you had access to all kinds of data, make it live and be able to dive in and out and interact with it, that was kind of a surprise that, it, that they were psyched about it. But financial data, as you know, is totally hideous. So the, ah, there's another aha moment of, Oh wait, of course, because they've been dealing and looking at these horrible screens with all this data, and they've they've essentially done that math in their heads, but they never had a product either that was sort of beautiful and touchable and game-like. So pleasant to look at and all that kind of good stuff, more 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 lifelike than just reams of data on a screen. Imagine that, right? Crazy, no. <laughs> crazy woman, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, you both have kind of touched on this um, as well, but let's talk about it a little bit little bit more. Um, you know, I know I jumped into the world of entrepreneurship back in 2009. So, you know, we all know when the economy was there, if it wasn't doing the full Titanic, it was well down below the wave. So when's the right time to start a business? Um, so I get asked this question a lot. And I think the answer is, um, first, if you're going to stop your job, quit your job, and as a certified financial planner who also cares about people being financially secure, um, what I say is first know what your idea is, then put in the time to make sure that you've thought through as much as you possibly humanly can. Talk to your five smartest friends and have them beat it up and tell you it's not going to work. Um, then if you're in a position to do it on the side of your full-time job to get it up and running, let that happen and let that help you build some momentum. When you get to a point where every day you don't want to go to work because you want to work on the other thing, and as long as you have nine months of savings, then you should start your, and do it full time. So those are literally the steps um, that I would apply. Uh, and I will always say that my best filter in life is I think of my like 90-year-old self. Um, when I was at, uh, in undergrad, I worked in the happiness lab. I swear that's a real thing. Um, <laughs> And it's psychology. And um, one of the things that we learned is that when people are 90 and they look back on their life, they don't ever regret anything that they did. They regret the things they didn't do. 
So you don't even remember the things that you did. What you always remember is that one thing that you really wish you you could have done. And so that's what I always filter is I say, well, 90-year-old Alexa Von Tobel look back and like really be super angry at me for not giving it a shot. And if you're that passionate about something, believe in yourself and, and, and jump off the cliff and get it started. So totally you have to do it you have that's it if if and i agree and all my con very conservative very smart friends said you know, essentially keep keep your day job while you're working on your idea absolutely or if you at least save up enough money so so you have the savings to do it but don't not do it i mean the the satisfaction that you get from having it's done enormous. the thing that was bugging you and you wanted to bring to the world bringing that to the world is so fulfilling that, uh, yeah, no regrets. There's no, I, there's never a dark moment. I mean, especially with, with dating, I'm, I'm so glad that <laughs> throughout all the, you know, people that didn't think that it made sense dealing with that and having done it, even though it was a really hard road, especially being a woman in technology back in those days, but it's not always about uh, the money on day one, but if you keep going, you will invent things. So start it. And it's, and it's like Be practical, uh, but start it. Yeah. And, and well, what's the worst thing? You know, you can go back to the job you had before. Someone said that to me when I was jumping. They're like, Kelly, what's the worst thing? You can come back here. And I'm like, oh, if that's the worst thing, was you know, it wasn't living homeless, you know, somewhere or you know, yeah. selling chiclets on the street. No, it was going back to a law firm job. That was the worst possible thing I could do. But once I knew that, I was like, oh, I can go out and do this. Yep. Totally. Totally. And entrepreneurs, they, when things go really wrong, they've all got sofas. They've all, they, they, their doors are open. They yeah, know they, what it's like. You can always it. find another entrepreneur. Someone else. Someone else. Yeah. Okay. Once you put a price tag on every piece of furniture in your house, yeah. and you've got this, that, and the other thing, and used all your savings and all the rest of it. All right. I'm going to go to questions after this next question. So if you've got questions, get them ready. Our friends from Apple are getting the microphones. So what, um, and think about whether it was when you were launching or scaling or maybe it's something you're doing, you know, fundraising, whatever point in terms of your entrepreneurial journey. What was some of the advice that you got that, you know, you'd want to pass on to other entrepreneurs? Um, so think about your customer and think about their problem uh, and think about that every single day. So you always say here and you should always do it. Put users first, put users first, put users first. But trying to take a person who's walking down the street who does not know how to buy a financial plan and say, you need it because every person in the country needs access to financial advice because you can change your life. Um, number two, and how do you make it consumable in a way that they're excited about it? And so one of the things that's been, for me, the most exciting thing about LearnBass was we started figuring out how to get you in the door. So we get you in the door, we immediately, within less than 40 minutes, you're connected to your own expert your own dedicated expert. You can put their no phone number and speed dial. They're there for you. And within seven days, you have a plan. And within 14 days, you have your final plan that walks you through the next few years of your life. And what we started seeing and hearing was all the feedback from our customers, which is 92% were referring to friends. Moms were buying it for their children. Children were buying it for their cousins. Um, girlfriends were buying it for their boyfriends. Boyfriends were buying it for their wife. And we started seeing it being gifted as a baby gift, as you bought a home, congratulations, you're getting married. And we just literally started watching 
the customer's behavior. And from there, so many things of incredible goodness came out of it, um, of how to reward the customer, how to motivate them to actually do the things that they need to do, like save an extra $500 a month. And, um, and, it, and it really was powerful to just watch the customers. So the best advice I would say is, um, we knew the problem we wanted to solve, which is I wanted to make financial planning affordable, consumable, delightful, and easy, because frankly, it's already stressful enough. Then we wanted to connect you to an expert. And then from there, everything else that we saw about how to deliver the service, when to get it, um, all came from watching customers' behavior. And then we just really watched it and we started seeing it being given as a great gift for weddings and babies and all the other stuff. And honestly, if you just pay attention to your customer and everyone says it, but read the feedback, but then watch them, watch the unspoken things, pay a ton of attention. Um, it'll help you unlock a lot of really incredible value for your business, but also for your for, for the people that you get out of bed every day for. So I was gonna say your psychology background coming in handy watching your it is it, it really is. Honestly, it like maybe it all comes back circularly. I worked in a psychology lab watching behavior watching people um but that's i think what makes us focus on actually developing a product and a service that um makes so much sense yeah pay attention to the people forget that you know but say the technology there's always people behind it so advice that you got or didn't get that you would pass on jennifer you know i hate to say almost the same thing so but I'm going to have it. to. <laughs> do it. We like hearing the same thing. It's so yeah. true. It's, it's so, so true. true. You Do your customer support. Talk to your customers. Know your customers. It, that, that it, and, and, and use your, use your product. Uh, and uh, To the minute, every day. Literally, LearnVest is loaded. I look at it every morning when I open my eyes. I look at what's happening with my finances. And when you're obsessed with your own product, yeah. it, it makes you're the best person at thinking about how to make it better. That. And so make I'm, the whole team. Yep. Um, as part of the onboarding process at LearnVest, when you become a new employee, the individual has to get a financial plan. Anyone in their family that they think should have a financial plan, which is everyone. Um, but we, we, we say eat the soup, um, which is... That's a polite we, way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 instead of like eat your own dog food. Eat your uh, own dog food. Um, <laughs> our head of product used to work at Campbell's Soup at some point. So it's eat the soup. But every, every single person has a plan, experiences their plan, understands the, the, the nuances of dealing with your own finances. And actually, that's what makes the product better is that we are like a cult of people who believe in financial planning and our standards are are high for trying to make us really passionate about changing that behavior that's that's great and you know as I say use your own product I always think of um, the story of Marissa Mayer when she was at Google actually walking around with a an iPhone because she's like this is what our customers use <laughs> this is what our users use um all right questions there must be questions um, I have a question for Alexa. Um, so you started a business, and obviously it was um, pretty successful. But um, I want to start a business, so I want to know, like, what advice like do you have for people who want to start businesses, and for me? Um, so the advice that I have for people who want, so the question was, um, what advice do I have for for you who wants to start a business? And um, you know, I, I we got. I got mine up off the ground um, at a tough time. So a few things, um, and this is really specific advice, but it's because I followed it and I believe it. One, put a little bit of your own money into the business. You still need that nine months of savings and you still need to be have some money in your retirement account. But if you can put a little bit, whether it's $5,000, whatever is meaningful to you, and the reason I want you to do that is because when you have to actually physically spend your own dollars, 
you get real focused real fast and it's never left me so today I'll give you an example we're literally putting in a new conference room someone came to me and the chairs were the difference between $90 and $40 they looked somewhat identical and I was like we're clearly going with the $40 ones if this was my own dollar I would and I just every single decision I pretend as though it's my own dollars and you never I never get away from that so that's number one my other advice for you um, would be really simple. Make a 10 PowerPoint slide. So 10 slide PowerPoint. And it should cover roughly the following things. What's your company in one sentence? Ours was a program for your money. Who's it going to serve? The American people. <laughs> um, actually look at the market size. So it's going to serve 36, $37 million million households that range between 50000 and 500000 um, What's your product exactly? Show some pictures. How are you going to market that product? Literally, where are you going to go to get customers? What does uh, one year of your business look like? What does three years of your business look like? Who does the team need to be? How much money should you raise? And how are you going to go to market? So roughly those slides. And it could be 10, it could be 15. Go talk to five smart friends. Ideally, the people are going to be the most honest with you and let them beat you up. Let them ask the questions. And then take the questions that they ask and make those the appendix. And when you can do that, and get beat up a few times and not be defensive about it, but say, what are you really asking me? I don't have that answer yet. You care about having that answer, not because you want to look smart in front of your friends, because at the end of the day, if you're really going to go jump off the cliff and start a business, you're going to have to have those answers. And so you want them. So even today, I was just leaving and an advisor was literally picking apart a part of our business and it was exhausting. And I, 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 I do this every time I sit down and I, I shut up and I listen because I'm like, all you're doing is trying to make me better and I'm going to listen. And it's really hard to do, especially if you're someone who wants to go build something because you want so badly for just to work. But you have to listen and really listen to the negative feedback and listen to the things that aren't working because it can help you build a better, smarter, faster, stronger. And that's really what you care about. So those are the two things. Invest a little bit of your own money and really listen to people beating you up in the beginning, but also later because it's going to help you be a better entrepreneur. Jennifer, any thoughts? A little bit, yeah. I would, I would say, uh, uh, collaborate, get, get some mentors. So, yeah. along with your friends, that uh, find other people. Either if they're not your closest friends, go, go, go to events, go, go to conferences, uh, get on a plane if you need to. But, but learn your industry. But also find some mentors that are entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I have a friend. He he worked at Booz Allen, and he had a theory so that that anyone can learn any industry in six weeks. But the but entrepreneurialism is just something that you develop all through your lifetime. So it's finding those mentors that they don't have to know your your business per se, but they'll work with you and collaborate with you on your idea and give you a lot of feedback. And And it's Nice to not have to feel so alone and with people that are support you and not your direct competitors. Because when your competitors come in, then it's tougher. Hello, my question is for Alexa. Um, I was part of um, when in 2008 the economy kind of went down when I graduated, and um, I know that your your business deals with people who make fifty thousand to at least five hundred thousand. Would you ever make an app for? college students to deal with finances before they leave? Yeah. Because I understand we, we had loans and those are the ones that are kind of like killing us right now. So would you consider making an app for college students to deal with their finances before so they don't have to like rush to find a job that they may not like or 
something yep. like that. Oh, and yeah. dealing with student loans. I'm so glad you raised that question because yeah. I mean, the student loans and the timing it's of when so to pay it off versus other debt is, yep. is a big thing. Anyway. Um, so a few things. First, just the sort of fifty to 500000 You know, we talk to people, um, you know, we've, we have clients at LearnVest that are 22 years old, literally that live in their parents' basements and don't make money yet, but they want to get out. So just it's sort of a, a rough benchmark. Um, but a few things. So first, um, you asked a question I'm incredibly passionate about, which is right now the average college senior graduates with about $4,000 of credit card debt, about twenty dollars to $25,000 of student loans. And if they're lucky and I do repeat lucky, out of school, they'll maybe make about $35,000, which just means that after taxes, they actually owe more money than they make. And so one of the things that we're really passionate about in our, our app, so you can go to Apple, it's really simple. Um, our app, learnvest.com, which has uh, four or five stars, um, allows you to actually track all your spending and see all your finances in one place. Um, you can store it. Uh, our users log in about two times a day on mobile. Um, you can track cash transactions. And what it helps you do is, one, get a really clear sense of what you owe, of being able to see what you're spending. Um, and it's totally free. And we do it so that you can start to deal with your finances. And then once we have all that information there, if you simply want to be able to talk to an expert, you can. And so we actually have a product that's uh, pretty inexpensive. It's called the Budget Starter, um, and it's $89. Um, and what it allows you to do is you can talk to an expert, and they'll help you figure out your budget right out of school. And we proactively do it because we don't want you to be in a position where you quickly overspend when you're already that average person who's in a ton of you know real crunch. Um, and we can make sure that you get started on in a healthy capacity. So I'm so glad you brought that up because if it were up to me, and I gave a TED talk on this that's gotten shared pretty widely about how if we could change the 1.8 million college students that leave um, our education system every year, and we could teach them the five basic things that our tool teaches you, that we could change the entire economy because we could help make sure that people avoid mistakes because the key when it comes to your finances is avoiding mistakes is almost as powerful as making more money um, because if you can avoid some key mistakes like hurting your credit score racking up too much credit card debt you're going to be in a much healthier position to be able to fix it um, so at learn best we help you not only fix your mistakes but proactively we want you to avoid them so that you can be healthier. So, I mean, the short answer is if you're in college, this is the perfect time. To and be it's thinking, free. Per perfect time to be thinking of this. And I always sort of find that the student loan debt is such... And you can tell the pretty. So also, pretty. I believe in making everything beautiful. Our design team, I have no credit. They're incredible. And so we make everything so easy, so consumable. You can track exactly. So 50% complete on your student loans. Um, that trip to Tokyo that you want to take, 20% complete. Um, and and everything tracks to the minute, and so you can actually see what's going on but, with your with your money. But, and this and this is a good you know example of of when you want to get advice because I mean the student loan debt is so heavy and, and weighing it's all down. There. And you know your expert right. once you upgrade and become a client, your expert sees it, and you can hop right on the phone. Bam, they're right there. But, but they you can also start to tell you what to do. But they also may be making a decision which is the wrong long term financial decision, depending on what interest rates are at, which which debt you're paying off. That's yeah. the part that and always our experts, you know. Um, uh, is, again, I'm a certified financial planner, and one of the things that our experts do is they can advise you on everything from student debt to car loans to buying a home to selling a home to changing jobs, negotiating your salary. They're really your financial expert. Um, and because of people like you who helped us do things like online dating, <laughs> um, we made it so that it's really easy for you to get access to an expert. That's great. So there we go. All right. More questions. Oh, good. The back row. Woohoo. 
Uh, this question is uh, initially for Jennifer, but Alexa, you can answer as well. Um, I'm working with an organization that is working to create more transparency within the jewelry supply chain so that uh, jewelers can, and consumers can make more responsible uh, buying choices about uh, how they purchase and the, the repercussions of a very damaging industry. Um, is that the sort of thing that uh, visible data de uh, uh, design uh, technology, visible data technologies? The name of your visible uh, market. I'm sorry, uh, is that the sort of thing that um, you uh, would be able to and be interested in uh, helping to advise on? It's it's a it's a huge movement within the United States that we're at the you know spearheading at the forefront of, and and then follow on to that is what is the sort of social ecological repercussions of money, monetary investment, and do your applications address those issues? In, in, in addition to the, the, mo the monetary uh, management aspects. Is, is there a social layer? Wait, can, can you repeat the second question? Is there a social layer? Is there a, you know, ah. a way to track the, um, the, the way that your investments actually affect the real world? Not just how is it affecting your pocketbook, but what are your investments doing in the world? Ah, right. Oh, I understand. I understand what you're saying. So, on the first question about sort of transparency and and the jewelry industry and the supply chain, uh, that's a that's a great example. If there's not a lot of data, uh, usually that's pretty easy to make transparent as long as you have like if you're comparing a few things. If if there's sort of uh, sort of a wide sort of group of inputs that are that are going in and that someone would be able to want to see it once, for instance, like what all the prices of a particular you know, uh, diamond or gold or whatever through across distributors. That's a great example of something that like a stock touch platform would be really good for. And in terms of, I think it's a great question on the social implications. That was a little bit of what I hinted about in terms of a product like StockTouch, that there's so much data that isn't transparent and that wouldn't be transparent even if I put it right up on the screen here. Uh, you wouldn't understand it unless you would be able to sort of dive in and out of it and understand it contextually alongside of, of th those statistics measured for across peer groups. So basically, th th there's all kinds of financial data. It could be social. It could be uh, more specific market momentum. It could be uh, sort of where smart money versus versus average investors, what, what the what trades are happening from moment to moment, um, sort of similar to quantitative trading. So there's tons more data that w you wouldn't understand it unless uh, you were either uh, a high frequency trading machine um, or as an individual, you could see it in context in a platform that delivered it. So someone should do that. We'll put that out there. Because you, know, you think about it now how people um, want to spend their money, they want to buy organic, which typically costs more. Um, and so if you have it in your budget, you can see, all right, what do I have to give up? Because this is the way I want to spend my money. Or, you know what, I'm, maybe I'm going to give, give up something with respect to the return because it matters to me in terms of composition of the board or, you know, what, what their environmental policy is or some other kinds of things. And maybe, you know, I'm just sort of thinking about in terms of that, that oh, being right. intelligent Good point. and making <laughs> me wary. Exactly, right. So and making, transparent, making transparent sort of what corporations are, you know, sort of considered more environmentally, um, uh, sort of more environmentally pro-environment that are uh, essentially 
whatever the social movements are that you want to support, if you want to sort of highlight that and understand who those companies are, you could either do the own research or you could essentially pump that into, um, you know, pump that into your mobile device. So I think that's a really good way to spread something that everyone wants to do, but the amount of research that it would take uh, would be really hard to put together. But um, the, when the statistics are available and you can crunch them and publish them, um, it's, it's much easier. So I think that that's actually a wonderful way of using StockTouch. So as, as these things start happening, I like it. Hello, uh, this question is for Alexa. I was wondering um, what kind of ideology your company has or when you're looking to hire people, what kind of backgrounds um, are you looking for to give financial advice? Because you said you're trying to be unbiased, but really what kind of how do you screen those financial advisors? <laughs> yeah, so here's how we screen our financial advisors. Um, they go through a 10-step hiring process. Um, so first, uh, if they're a CFP, they have to be a CFP, which by designation means you have about three years of experience. You've taken um, an, a year-long course, and then you passed a two-day, 10-hour exam, which is brutal. It's a 30% pass rate. Um, I've taken a lot of tests in my life. It was one of the hardest tests I've taken. It's pretty brutal. Um, so that was not fun. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, and then we go through 10 steps of hiring on top of that. So it's things like um, they have to pass a financial planning exam for us. They then have to pass um, a teaching exam where they have to literally send in a video Skype of them teaching a comp complicated topic because we need them to be able to talk to everyday people. Um, and things like what is a 401k? Like give it to me straight, keep it simple. Um, we then go through an empathy test. Um, so financial planning is call it 95% math, but it's about 5% emotions. It's never just the numbers. It's I lost my job or I found out someone in my family has breast cancer or um, you have a child who has a disorder. And to be honest, like that's what life's all about. It, it, there's so much stuff and we want to make sure that we can help you deal with that stuff and we can help you figure out the financial so the bedside manner. So it's <laughs> the bedside, we call it the empathy test. Um, but then we go through um, legal testing, background, everything from uh, four or five reference checks. They have to pass a writing exam. And then, and only then, do they actually come and meet our team. So it's a pretty brutal process. Um, but it's because there's 69,000 uh, CFPs in the country. And we are getting um, hundreds of resumes, uh, you know, weekly, uh, if not monthly, because um, what we're doing is so transparent and people love it. So 83% of our planners join because of our mission, because they love the fact that they can give unbiased advice. Um, and I think that's pretty powerful. So that's a screening process. And then that really applies to everyone that we hire, which they believe in our mission. They believe in what we're doing. Um, and not a single person joins the team without actually really caring about our mission. Um, because we think financial planning should be accessible to tens of millions of people. And we think we can really change uh, America for the better if we, if we get bigger. Because you're still a young company. I mean, you've you've, you've raised. We've been around for we've, financial planning. We've only been up for a year and a half. The company's been around, as I said, for about three and a half. Right. Four so years. You're, so I mean, besides all this, I want to say skill set in terms of being financial planners, they really need to understand that this is a young company, and they all have to be rowing in the direction to make you successful. Yep. Um, because you know. And then they go through yeah. a month-long training program, and then ongoing education and training with us. It's a lot. <laughs> That's a takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> but we love our planners. They're really passionate about our customers, and that's what I care about. It's amazing. What do you? I don't know. I, I think I'm, I don't know if I've got the the stamina to apply at LearnVest. What's what's going on at Stock Touch in terms of? 
Are you? Are you? Or how? How big's your team? And and we're we're a small team. We we make software. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're our team is is basically five people. That's so, amazing. So yeah, we're we're uh, a. How big's your development team, Alexa? Um, our development team's about forty people. Um, and in terms of developers and yeah, front end back our end. whole well, team's about one hundred and twenty five ish. That's amazing. So that's amazing. So, I mean, well, this is great, like, great example of what you can do now in the world of technology. You can build, you know, what, what's the ideal size for you for your team? Is it, is it five? It, it all depends where it goes. I mean, the, the, where sometimes maybe we'll see. Ask me in a year. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be back. <laughs> and you all heard that. We're going to be back in a year. We're going to find out how big the size of the team is. All right, we've got one more question. Hi, this question is for Alexa and Jennifer. What was the single best um, recruiting advice that you received and, and followed through in when you hired your first key people? It's so simple. Um, someone once, or I read somewhere, I don't even know where this came from. So I, I read this somewhere. Uh, the question is like, do you hire 90% talent and 100% culture? Or do you hire 100% talent, 90% culture? And the answer is neither you hire 100% culture and 100% talent. So they have to have both. They have to be a good fit for the team, and they have to have the skills and the chops. And I think that if you always follow that, you're going to be really happy. And I would say it's interesting that you said 100% because it really did. Or 120%. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, like it's at like my point is you can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the point there is, you can't give on either because when you're trying to create a company that's really passionate and putting their head down and working really hard, um, you, you, you can't sacrifice either. And when and you have, I want to say, investors breathing down your neck and, and all the rest of it, yeah, it's like, yeah, hiring you just... is the, you know, is literally more than 30% of my job is finding the absolute best talent that we can find. And yeah, sometimes you're in a crunch because you really need someone fast and you hold out because you got to get the right people. And I, I'll give you an example. Um, we just hired a head of analytics, and I wanted it like nine months ago. And I painstakingly went through hundreds of resumes and applications. We ended up hiring one of the heads of analytics out of Netflix, who is 100% culture and 100% talent, and it's a phenomenal hire, and he's brilliant. And it's just you gotta you gotta hold out for that stuff. Yeah, your team has to be devoted to what you're doing with a startup. It grows so quickly and it's so demanding and they should be happy doing doing that. And when you find a devoted team, they are. It's, right. it's you don't even think about it. Right. When, when, when you say when it's it's technology and your product is everything and that's your business and you know, there's nowhere to hide. Like if you got to get these got got to get right. So the, excellent. I'm really glad you asked that question. And where's our There we go. Last question over there. Hi, this is for Alexa. Um, I came in a little after it started, but I walked in when you were say, talking about um, how you're about to graduate school. And being that I'm trying to get into business myself, I'm stuck with the dilemma of learning business from professors or learning business from actual business people who've done it. So now that you are where you are, what do you think about, for lack of a better term, the degree process, as in would you advise someone to finish school? Do you regret? I don't know. I, I didn't really catch if you finished or not, but do you regret that I you didn't, didn't finish? Have? No, you, okay. didn't, you didn't finish your MBA, but you finished your undergraduate. I finished undergrad. 
Um, and I, I finished undergrad. I finished one semester at Harvard Business School, and then I dropped out. Um, so a few things. Uh, first of all, I think business school is such a happy, incredible place. And if I had come up with the idea in a way where it was not before business school, I would have loved to finish business school. Um, and, you know, in the future, hopefully maybe one day when I'm like 50, I can go back. That'd be awesome and super fun. Um, but I will say that for what I'm doing, being an entrepreneur, um, I learned more in one day of trying to build LearnVest than I did in a week or two of business school. Um, and I will say that there's something from learning on the job when you're literally, I in the early days, I was our lawyer. I was running HR. I was the janitor. I was like product developer. I was managing marketing, investor relations, funding. I mean, you name it. And so I've learned so much. And so I will say, I think if you're in a position where you know you want to get a business degree, go get a business degree. Um, I would say that it's not, um, there's, there's really no downside there. Um, but my specific position was that I had the idea and I knew it had to happen then. So that's why I ended up leaving. Um, and I will say that I learned such invaluable stuff um, in just trying to get a business off the ground. And I'm still learning every day and I have a lot to learn still. Um, so it's a pretty humbling process because um, you constantly realize the more you know, the, the less you know. Um, and that's powerful. Um, but anyways, you, you learn a lot on the job. And I would say, depending on what you want to do, and I'm happy to answer questions offline, um, I think it may make sense for you to, to go get that education. So, And how long have you worked on Wall Street before? Two years. Two years. Yeah. So you sort of, sort of had... You know, yeah. the job and the business experience. Thoughts on... Because there is big debates on whether or not to go to school or continue education and, yeah. you know, and I... I think Yeah. Some- I would say I, I, I know people, they didn't go to college, they're brilliant, and they were amazingly successful. That would have never happened to me I, at all. I, the, the, if I hadn't gone to business school, uh, what you learn in business school, there's that, that access to professors, that access to people that are also interested in business is unbelievably valuable. And that degree, people, wh- whenever you don't, people are always asking why. So it is, it's definitely possible. I know people that have done it without, without finishing, and they're total superstars, and that's amazing. Uh, it's not for everyone, so so b- make your own decision. But I, I can tell you, I wouldn't have. I uh, w- I needed my two business degrees for my career, so I'm glad I got them. Well, and it's also I would say that self awareness the two of you have in terms of what you know and what you don't know, and where you can fill in that information. And then that that's one of the things I would say to anybody is like. You know, be really hyper aware of what you don't know and where you can get that information. Is it from school or a mentor or a group of mentors or your investors or your best friends? Your and not f- knowing yeah. is okay. Yeah. And the best, one of the best things is to say, I don't know the answer. I say it lots of times, probably yeah. once a day. Or, or like, I, don't I don't know, know this. Th- I'll say I don't know the answer to this. This is what I think it is. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so, anyways, great question. Yeah. And academic environments are amazing. Especially the professors and your students and colleagues. They're, they're amazing because it's, it isn't a competitive environment. So you get all this advice on what you're doing, you know, essentially for free, contributed. Like it's, it's like a social contribution to the world. So that's a nice, uh, safe Petri dish to incubate ideas in a way where people aren't competing with you. They're trying to support you and, and really smart people in academic institutions. So take advantage of that. Meet everyone. Talk to everyone. Talk about your ideas. All right. We're good. 
Thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much, thank Apple. Thank you to a great audience. Thank you for the great questions. And thank you to these two amazing panelists. Thank it's you. been fun. Thanks. Thank you.